We'll go to our first reading of 2 Corinthians 7, Paul's joy. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grief with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that your letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss throughout through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts are made to him about you, I was not put in shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all how you received him with fear and trembling, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Now we go to Psalm 51. And the preamble of that is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, 
and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, and God you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is God's word. Our text verse, first text verse is from 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Also Psalm 51 verse 17. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Topic. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, today is Re- Reformation Sunday, the 31st of October, coming Tuesday, is known as the official date of the Reformation, where Martin Luther became disenchanted with the power at the power the Roman Catholic Church had over people's lives. Martin Luther was specifically concerned about the sale of indulgences. These were documents that were issued by the Catholic Church to grant full or partial pardon of sins. How it works, you can be a murderer, but if you pay a few dollars or money, then you were forgiven. They were issued after prayer and good works, but they were also sold as finance projects sponsored by the Catholic Church. And to express his concerns about the way the church went, Martin Luther nailed his written works known as the 95 Theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31st, 1517. This started the Reformation. The reformers believed that the church needed to reform. That they need to go back to God's word. 
And while the church was certainly vulnerable to change, they all agreed that they should go back to the old path, the path of the Word. But what does the Reformation mean for us today? We still confess. Like Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, go back to the Word of God, repent of your sins, if you are taking the wrong way. There's no cheap grace that can be bought and forgiven by a priest. And like we've read in our Bible reading, what the Lord requires is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And so indulgences can never replace repentance. And feeling guilty or having worldly grief is not repentance as well. And so the Apostle Paul described in verse 10 of our Bible reading, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. We know by now that it didn't go well with this congregation in Corinth. Were many things where they have departed from the word of God. Because the environment had such a strong influence on them. And because of this influence, the case of immorality in the church could not be dealt so easily. Also a dividing and a divisive spirit among some of the members. And they were adopting worldly methods to deal with their problems like taking their fellow members to court, 1 Corinthians 7. And they did not abide in the word anymore, but they followed pastors whose preaching was pleasing to their ears. And they had to repent. And therefore Paul wrote this letter. Paul said in verse 12, and indicated his reason for writing the letter. So though I write to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Most of the congregation was against Paul, for that's what he thought. And Paul knew what was at stake if there are divisions in the church. If the congregation rejected Paul and his apostolic authority, they would also by implication reject Jesus under whose authority Paul had been commissioned. And the presence of false teachers, which had a different gospel, also had an effect that Paul was bitterly concerned about this congregation. And therefore, They were leaving the good path. They had to repent. You can see Paul's joy in this letter. They did. This was Paul's joy that their response was overwhelmingly positive. There's always joy when there's repentance. Even in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ tells us. Even the angels rejoice when people are turning back to the Lord. 
Paul describes this process in his joy in verse 9. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And the congregation was grieved when they received Paul's letter. They were offended, deeply hurt at first. Paul said, although for a little while, verse 8. But the outcome was a godly repentance. Paul called this congregation to repentance about their sins, but he did it in a godly way, and he used the truth of God's word, not lies or exaggeration. And Paul was honest, clear, of the things they needed to repent. They are idols. They had no hidden agendas. He simply told the truth of God's word in love so that they could come back to Jesus, so that they could repent. And it's so important that we understand the difference between godly repentance and worldly grief, as Paul explains here. Let me first explain what repentance is. Repentance is to be genuinely sorry for your sins. Where your heart breaks about the injustice you have done to God and your neighbor when you sinned against them. In true godly repentance, you come to God like, like King David in Psalm 51 with your sin. And you plead for forgiveness in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when there's forgiveness, there's also wholehearted joy in God through Christ that you are forgiven. But sorrow alone does not save you. Sorrow doesn't produce anything except bad feelings and regret. And it leads to death. And so there's a difference between worldly grief and godly grief. An example would surely be the difference between the apostles Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, and Peter, who denied Jesus. We know that Judas was heartbroken after he betrayed Jesus. He gave the money back, but he did not come to the Lord with his sorrow. And he committed suicide. For him it led to death. The Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. And he was heartbroken. But Peter repented. He went back to the Lord. He was back that Sunday again. And he was forgiven. He was restored by Jesus himself. And Peter endured to the end. For Peter it led to life. One disciple's fall away from Christ, Judas is seen as final. Whereas the other disciples' fall is not final, it was full of grace. Peter was restored because he went to the Lord in deep repentance. Beloved, you probably have heard what happened this week. 
the tragedy that happened this week at St. Andrews, where one young teacher, 24, murdered another 21. And two young, promising lives were destroyed in a moment of rage and jealousy. And if you follow the newspapers, you can see the man's regret. In his regret, he went to the cliffs at Bondi, where he sat for four hours in his car. Then he called the police, informing them about the murder, eventually committing suicide. My heart breaks for both families of these young people, young children, young people. And they are both destroyed by the actions and the sin of this broken world. And it shows so clearly the need for repentance and what we need to do. The need for the gospel and understanding of the gospel. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And therefore our young people need to listen carefully that there's salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are grieved by this world, by your sins, by your actions, there's hope. Come to the Lord. Come back to the Lord. And there will be consequences for your actions. But where there's godly repentance, there's also forgiveness. And it's only because one person gave his life so that we could live. Jesus came to erect his kingdom on earth to reconcile us with God and the greatest resistance against this was sin. And sin made the establishment of God's kingdom impossible and therefore Jesus suffered the wrath of God and that cross to reconcile us with God. And he, the only innocent, righteous man, did in the power of his divinity carry the burden of the wrath of God and gained for us the righteousness, the forgiveness, and eternal life. In him there came salvation. We also know that God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but a world that a world for him might be saved. John 3 verse 17 and abandoned by all, Jesus went to the cross where God abandoned him so that there could be reconciliation for our sins. And he was beaten, he was mocked, he was afflicted, and he carried his cross on his shoulders, and he was led to Golgotha to be crucified. What should we do with our sins? Come to the Lord in deep repentance. Bring it to the cross of Jesus. And even murder can be forgiven. We read this in Psalm 51. We also read what our sin does. Psalm 51 is the confession of a broken and a contrite heart. 
Psalm 51 is the conviction of David's guilt, a psalm that pleads for forgiveness. After he realized that he was the man who murdered Uriah because he wanted his wife Bathsheba. David came to the Lord with his sin. He prayed to the Lord, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David came to his father, and he knew his father, who loved his people from the beginning. He knew that his father was a merciful God, and he brought his sins before the Lord. And then he described what God can do with our sins. He knew that sin leaves a mark that only God can erase. Sin writes into the fibers of our nature. Verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And he was the man born in sin, corrupt from conception on. Therefore, he prayed to God to blot out his transgressions, to wash him thoroughly from his iniquity, to cleanse him from his sin. And what did David pray for? He prayed for a Messiah. He prayed that a Messiah would come, cleanse him from his sin. And he begged for mercy, knowing that it would cost God personally. It would cost God his only son. And God did step in. God loved us so much that he gave his son so that we could be forgiven. He gave his son to die, to be alone on a cross, so that we could be saved from hate, anger, retaliation. And David prayed for a, a redeemer. He prayed that a Messiah would come, cleanse him from his sin. And he begged for mercy, knowing that it would cause God personally. This is godly grief. Broken in a contrite heart. That Paul described in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. That will lead to salvation. So what is the purpose of our sorrow for sin? To bring you to trust in the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the sorrow that cleanses you from your sin, but Jesus' blood. The goodness of God that leads us to repentance through His Holy Spirit. King David's heart was broken by sin. King David confessed about his heart in Psalm 51 verse 17. The sacrifices of God are broken spirits, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. But for King David, there was forgiveness, ultimate joy. And so we know that many things that are broken bring forth beautiful things, like the earth that needs to be broken to bring forth a harvest. The grape that needs to be crushed to bring forth wine. With the broken, repentant heart, God brings forth salvation. 
This is why the Reformation was so important. God brought life and his truth into the church that did not understand that repentance was needed anymore, but thought that forgiveness could be bought with money. Indulgences. By doing this, that for Saken the cost of God's forgiveness for his son. But in the Lord's grace, his truth was always proclaimed. If you go through church history, Augustine, the church father, understood what God meant with a broken spirit and contrite heart, and he found much forgiveness in the Lord comfort in the Lord's forgiveness. Augustine did not lead an exemplary life as a young man, as a wild young man. But his mother persevered in her prayers for him. And he repented and was saved. And so Augustine wrote a commentary about Psalm 51. And he said, in all the worldly pleasures, he has not seen evidence of a broken heart and contrite spirit, but only in the word of God. Only in Jesus there can be forgiveness. Sometimes we also need to call each other to repentance. Although our actions will cause grief, offend, as Paul's letter to the Corinthians grieved them, there will be joy when there is repentance. It's so difficult to deliver a stern sermon. Difficult house visit. Painful message to your children. But when it leads to repentance and forgiveness in Jesus, there's joy. Do we know the cost of following Jesus in this regard? Sometimes we need to be willing to lose popularity. Your position as Martin Luther because of the truth of God's word. But we do this because we have genuine concern for each other and above all the Lord. And this is what Paul had for this congregation. This is what the reformers had for the truth of God's word. And Paul had to suffer a great deal because of this congregation. But he was also encouraged when Titus told him how they repented and showed concern and zeal to do what was right. And at the end of this chapter, there's good news where Paul prays this church. They seem to be in a place of victory. When it first started at 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1, there was no praise. But now the difference was that real repentance was reported by Titus. And Paul commented on this, this chapter. When there's repentance, there's joy. Behind it all is God's concern and love for his church. 
The Lord will not despise a broken and a contrite heart full of repentance, but restore them, blot out their sins as he did with King David, as he did with the Apostle Peter, as he did with the Apostle Paul, also a murderer that came to the Lord, as he did with me, with you. This is why we can rejoice, but also why we need to come to the Lord in repentance and give thanks to God. I want to conclude, brothers and sisters, that when you fall through weakness and sin, do not despair in worldly sorrow. It will only lead to death but come to the Lord in godly grief. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Jesus. Repentance brings me to my knees. Repentance is seeking God's forgiveness in Christ and gives me the desire to do what is right, to follow the Lord. And there on my knees, I am assured of God's grace in Christ, that all my sins are forgiven, that Jesus paid the price. That we can rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you also with the brokenness of this world. And we pray for the families of those two young people, those two young teachers, only at the beginning of their life. We pray that their families will be comforted, that they will seek for comfort in our Lord Jesus Christ. But also the family of the young girl seek forgiveness. For a young man who took a life. That they can forgive, although, so that they can be free as well. Also, forgive his family. Father, we pray that you will also be with us. When we are taking the wrong paths, that you will bring us back to the truth of your word, our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Be with your people also in the new chapter. Father, we pray for unity. We pray that we will be unified in our faith, in our obedience, even in going to the church and worry move that you will bless us there, but also the community there, that we will be a light to the nation as well, like salt. But we also pray for the people here in Blacksland. 
Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for all the blessings that you've bestowed upon us. We thank you for the blessing of a new building. We also know, Lord, this is out of grace alone. We know that the true building is the people. And therefore, the whole church is going to worry more. The building of God. Bless us, keep us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.